All right, uh, I have a quick question for you guys. So we do this um, almost every week where we just kind of break off into groups of twos or threes. Uh, if you're in a group of four, break off into a group of twos. Um, don't do three because then one person will be sad. And also just kind of make sure everyone around you has someone to uh, talk to and, and kind of discuss this with. But we're, we're just going to find, uh, we're just going to spend two or three minutes talking about this one question. In what area of your life do you have leadership, influence, or power? And how did you quote unquote get there? Okay? And then I'll come back and we'll go into our time in the Word. All right, thanks so much for sharing. Appreciate you guys um, jumping into the conversation a little bit. So when I think about power and influence, um, there was like such an emphasis of this in Philippi, which is uh, the book we're in, Philippians chapter 2. Philippi was part of the Roman Empire, and it was filled with patriots, people who were ex-soldiers. And the Roman Empire at the time had this huge hierarchy of power. They were rulers of the known world. Anywhere they wanted to conquer, anywhere they set their eyes upon, they would just kind of roll past uh, the existing inhabitants and set up a new territory. And Philippi was no different. Um, but this, this area was a huge like, fan of the Roman Empire. They were like a little mini Rome. They tried to imitate everything the Romans were doing, and most of the people, again, were citizens there. And there was so much power and influence in, in being Roman at the time. If you were a citizen, uh, it was a place of pride. You had a lot of power. People couldn't persecute you or, or uh, punish you for no reason. You had to go through a judicial system, which was like very revolutionary at the time. Before, someone of power can just like kill someone else, and no one would say anything about that. But in the Roman Empire, if you were a citizen, you had to be prosecuted through like this legal system, which we kind of emulate in the United States. And so during that time, there was this climb to power. Uh, someone would finally become a citizen and celebrate that. But then maybe they would enlist in the Roman em uh, army and become a soldier and then a hero because they did well in battle and then one of the commanders and generals. And then after they get a little older, they would kind of make this lateral move into the political world and become a governor or a senator. Um, and that was kind of the climate at the time, and very similar to maybe our concept of leadership, whether it's corporate or social or um, educational, that there's this ladder to climb, and we want to get as high as possible, have as much influence, has a, as much power and leadership as we can. And during that time, the Romans not only held power, but they demanded uh, subordination from everyone around them. They took power from people in order to retain it. And then I think about another model of leadership, which is maybe from my Asian American background, that we, when, when I grew up and, and understood that God had made me into a leader, there was this huge divide between what it meant to be a leader and what it meant to be humble. And I think there was this kind of intrinsic thing of like, if you're a leader, you have to be filled with pride. And even claiming leadership or talking about yourself as being a leader, people will look at you in, again, an Asian context and be like, oh, that's really prideful. Like, you, you, um, you think so highly of yourself. And so in, in that culture, there's a sense of power being kind of bad or being neglected or deferred or, um, or pretending we don't have power in the positions that we do. So, like, 
if you compliment uh, in Chinese me, um, I would, in response, a typical response is like, no, that's not me, right? So like, I, I am not. And that's how I receive compliments. That's how I grew up receiving compliments. Hey, Wilson, you're a great leader. I am not. Hey, Wilson, you're really good looking. I am not. Which, you know, that would be true, right? Um, and so, again, like another idea of leadership is this kind of denial and, and pushing away. But then I've been thinking personally about humility and leadership a lot, like over the last few months. And one of the verses that have really defined what this looks like is Philippians chapter 2. I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Next slide who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. So again, um, we think about what it looks like to Um, I think Jesus does this amazing thing where he embodies leadership. He doesn't deny it, and yet he's able to use it in a humble way. And humility and leadership for me, as far as I got, was like you would be a leader, but then do humble acts, like clean the toilets or vacuum or, you know, go wash someone's feet. And that was how humility and leadership came together. But it was never in the space of stage or lamplight or power or influence. And then coming across Jesus, our hero and model, he brings humility and leadership together in this profound way. He takes kind of this Roman Empire uh, secular idea of kind of moving up the ranks, right? And, And he flips it on his head. And instead of moving upward and promoting himself, he he comes downward. It's phenomenal. I mean, but then again, when you're God, like, where do you go from there, right? Like, I'm God. I go upward, right? So like, but then his whole model is like, from God, all the power, all the authority, all the leadership, he then takes on human nature, right? He takes on flesh, and he becomes man. But not to rule and not to be a king in how the Romans did it, he served. And then he takes another step downward and he sacrifices his life. And when I think about what, king, what our king looks like, what kingdom value, uh, how kingdom value is different, how kingdom leadership can be humble, it's really encapsulated in these verses. That verse six, very, in uh, Jesus being the very nature of God, like he knew of his godness. And he proclaimed it, right? He wasn't embarrassed of it. Um, when, when he was questioned, even to death, he held on to him being God. He, he never denied it. He was God. And I think for us, we need to be comfortable with the places that we have power and influence. We need to be comfortable with the places where we have position and not deny it or not forego those places of power. That's not what, lead, that's not what humility is. Humility is this recognition of the places in which, which we have influence and power. And yet, Jesus uses that power and influence in a completely different way. 
He says that even he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he became a servant. And when you look at the whole spectrum of Jesus' use of power, it was never to promote himself. It was never to make himself more comfortable. That every act of power was an act of service for someone else. And I find that incredible because oftentimes, you know, I just put myself in Jesus' shoes. Like, I would never walk. I would just kind of teleport everywhere, you know? And, um, and like, I would eat filet mignon every day. And the people who didn't like me, I was like, I would, like, left swipe them into Antarctica, right? Like, I would just do all kinds of things to make myself more. And then once in a while, I would serve somebody, right? Just to, just to not be a villain. And... Um, like Death Pool. And um, don't watch that movie, but it's really good. So <laughs> that's how I would use power. And, and Jesus doesn't do that. He uses power to serve people, and not only in the explicit acts of miracles, but he uses his social power when everyone else was pushing out um, Zacchaeus. He invites him in, and he says, I'm going to your house when everyone else was ostracizing the woman at the well and she would walk in to pitch water at the hottest part of the day so she didn't have to socialize, so she wouldn't have to be shunned, Jesus goes to her and sits with her. And Jesus uses not only his divine power, but his social power in order to have people who were unnoticed gain um, influence. People who didn't have a voice, he gave them a voice. And I wonder in, our, in the way that we interact in power, is that, do we do it in the Roman way where we uh, oppress others, where we use our power to make ourselves more comfortable, to, to exalt and promote ourselves, Or do we use our power to serve the people around us, to give power to the powerless, to give voice to the voiceless, to bring in the marginalized? You know, in your circle, social circle, when, you're, when you are are uh, someone of influence and, someone, and you're part of the in-crowd? Are, are you putting other people down and pushing them away to elevate yourself? Or are you taking care of the person that everyone else rejects? Are you inviting the new person in and saying, hey, you're, you're accepted here. You're part of the family. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not being, I'm not trying to gain more power by excluding others. I'm using my power to include. It's very different. It's a very different model. I think about uh, Belinda and I, we had the opportunity to share at um, her previous school where she, looked, where she learned on optometry. And, she sh- and we shared about this passage, and she talked about how her boss, who's a Christian, he brought her in as an intern. And he sat with her and, and heard her dreams and wanted to help her get there. And he would spend extra time after hours to teach her finer skills of optometry, you know? And he would help develop her. And then when she finally finished her internship, he didn't just like say, good luck finding a job. He used all of his social networks and he used his influence and he used his reputation in order to land the best job possible for her to continue her career, even though it did nothing for him. But then he asked her to serve others as well. He said, hey, when a patient comes in, don't just turn them over as, quick, as quickly as possible. Like, sit and educate them. Let them know that you care about them. Spend time with them. And he gave her freedom to serve people. 
And I just think he was such a great example of that kind of leadership. This last part, um, Jesus is God, becomes man, not to rule in this Roman secular way, but serves people. And then he becomes obedient to death, even death on the cross. He sacrifices his life for us. And I think the passage for me that comes up after being married is Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul asks women, uh, wives, to respect their husband. And he tells the husbands to lay their life down for their wife, to love them. And then if you've ever been married or are married now, there's this back and forth, right, of like, I will love and sacrifice for you when you respect me. And then she's like, I will respect you when you love and sacrifice for me. And then it's just like this back and forth. And it might not be verbal and it might not be explicit. But, but I think if you've been married, you felt this downward spiral of disrespect and then feeling unloved and then disrespecting and feeling unloved. And, and it just kind of continues. So this problem was brought up to this preacher, fourth century, and he writes this homily and uh, sermon, and he says, you know, when, when the bride of Christ was spitting on her, when, he, when she was nailing him to the cross, when she was cursing him, he loved her and sacrificed himself for her. And it just reframed Christian leadership, where... Being the leader means you're the first to forgive and reach out. You're the first to ask for forgiveness. You're the first to sacrifice and first to lay down your life. You know, for me and Nina, um, giving up apartment life was really difficult for us. And we had a lot invested into that community. And she, but she just had a hard time um, doing it all. And she's superwoman, so, you know, think about that. Um, Everyone else in her occupational therapy program, none of them had another job, but she's running our children's ministry, and she's doing apartment life, and she's getting, she's like killing it in her school. But I just saw her like stay up um, all night to study. I saw her cram, and, and, and just the stress level was rising, and, I, and she talked about, you know, let's not do apartment life anymore. And I said, yeah, like, like why don't we why don't you come to that decision? Like, if you decide for us to leave, we will leave. And so for a couple months, we went back, she went back and forth. So she's like, okay, we're going to quit next month. I'm like, okay, I want you to have, I, I believe that, dude, you have total right for us to leave because you're doing so much. But then she would feel bad, and she's like, okay, let's stay on because she had this great experience. And then next month, let's leave again, right? And then, and then God said, well, I want you to lead in this decision for her sake, that we, you would put her needs above your own, you would put her dreams above your own, you would put her, her dreams above Renew, right? So I made this really difficult decision. I sat down and I was like, Nina, I think what's best for us and maybe even what's best for you is that we entrust God with this ministry and we, we clear this part uh, of our life, you know? And I felt so proud of myself. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm like Jesus, you know? Like, I sacrificed my genes for Nina. And I was like bragging to Jonathan about this. We hang out for breakfast. I was like, Jonathan, I'm an awesome leader. Look at how humble I am. And then, you know, I'm not even going to hold this over her, even though I, I might one day, but not right now, because I have to wait for like a big enough situation to come up. And um, no, I'm just kidding. But I was like, you know, just bragging to Jonathan. And he's like, um, what if you not only like made this decision for her, 
but you like celebrated the time and sacrifice that she put into it. And instead of her feeling like kind of guilty about it, you said, no, Nina, like you're amazing and thank you so much for serving with me and you honor her. And I was like, dude, that's like level 9,000, you know, like <laughs> I'm like level three, right? I'm like, yeah, so um, that was amazing. And, uh, and I think about how, how Christian leadership is this like, is like this bending over and lifting up. I think about how Christian leadership isn't calling others to sacrifice for you, but you being the first to sacrifice for another. You know, um, in Epic, um, I saw Patrick and Mitchell, Lou especially, become leaders and just grow. In, I mean, so many of you guys have grown in leaders uh, through Epic and Crew. Um, but over the last years, I just kind of saw them really emerge. And I said, hey, guys, I want you guys to run the leadership meeting, and I'm just going to sit back and be quiet, right? And so they started running the meetings, and I was there, and we would brief, I would brief them prior, but they would go and just kind of run it, and they had just great ideas, and I saw them grow. And then I noticed, though, that just the mere part of me being in the room, like, the weight of leadership and power were still shifted to me. Even if I said nothing, everyone was looking to me for a decision, for a nod, for a nonverbal cue, right? And then I thought about one of the most empowering, um, sacrificial things Jesus does is he ascends to heaven. Like, he dies on a cross, and he does this big, like, gospel, everyone can be a part of my kingdom thing, and then he leaves, right? Like, that's crazy, but I think about, like, what if Jesus stayed? He would have the most amazing megachurch on earth, but no pastor would ever have a job, right? No children's ministry would ever have a job. Like, I would never, ever share God's word with you. We would just all be sitting back, and Jesus would be, like, telecasted onto the screen, and we just listen to him preach. But because he leaves, because he relinquishes power, he says, all authority, all power on and an authority on heaven on earth has been given to me. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to walk away. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, but not in the same way, right? Not in person and in flesh. And he allows the church to lead in this phenomenal way by ascending into heaven. And I wonder in what areas of leadership, if we're doing this Jesus model, do we say, okay, this is a time where I actually walk away. This is a time where I sacrifice my power and my influence and, and my stage time to see another leader get birthed and rise up and become who they're meant to be. Just a totally different model of leadership. And so, man, I just kind of think about this, how the Roman Empire at the time, they were super powerful, and they used power to, like, oppress people and to kind of have them fall in line. And then you have this little Jesus kingdom growing, right, with 12 and spreading out. And then the Roman Empire completely collapses. And then the Jesus empire and, and kingdom spreads all over the known world. And even though his model of leadership is servitude and is empowering, it's the one that has the most massive influence. You wouldn't expect that, right? You'd expect swords and bronze statues and, and, and power that oppresses to rule the world. But instead, Jesus does it through service. 
Maybe this one example um, that I'm not sure is true or not, but I heard it in another sermon, so it's that guy's fault. There's this like early Christian story of, um, and maybe parable, right, of um, this soldier, Roman soldier, who's walking, and at that time, they had the right to ask anyone to carry their stuff for a mile. They could just point at someone and be like, you have to carry my stuff for a mile, and you have to do it, right? So this boy is carrying this Roman uh, soldier's gear for a whole mile, and usually after a mile, like, the next step, the kid's like, or whoever's carrying their stuff is like, okay, I've done my duty, I'm out of here. But this kid had just heard Jesus talk about if someone asks you, if a soldier asks you to one, walk one mile with him, you should walk two. And so at, this la- at the end of that first mile, the soldier's like, well, you're done. Give me my stuff back. I'll ask someone else. And he's like, I want to walk a second mile with you. And that bewildered the soldier. And on the second mile, this kid starts talking about who Jesus is and this kingdom of service, and this king who didn't command but served and sacrificed. And this little kid carrying the soldier's things um, conquered the soldier's heart, and this Roman soldier became a part of this Christian kingdom. Not by sword, not by overpowering someone, but by loving and serving and coming underneath and saying, I will carry a second mile with you. Man, I want, I want to be a part of that kind of leadership. I want to emulate that kind of power, the power that serves another. And I, I, I'm just envisioning our church. We have so much power and potential. So many of you guys are in college or young adults. I think in 10 years, we will have some of the richest, wealthiest, most influential people in this room in all kinds of sectors of society. And what if we did it differently? What if instead of promoting ourselves, we said, Jesus, we'll wait for you to promote me. And with my power and influence, I want to raise up others. With my power and influence, I want to serve the people around me. With my power and influence, I want to lead like you did, sacrificially, giving up first, Uh, for my family, for my church community, for my neighborhood, for the places that I worked. You know, Christians have done this throughout history. Um, Most of us, you know, others have like took the Christian label and slapped it onto uh, Roman leadership. But other Christians have done this, and that's why we are where we are. Um, Nazi Germany um, wanted to persecute Christians. Sorry, let me think. Oh, communists. Uh, communist Russia, Eastern Europe. I just heard this story from this missionary who lived through it. And he was interacting with Christians where the communists would go to their employment and say, persecute the Christians. And the secret police would walk in and make sure that was happening. But the employers didn't want to do, that, do it because the Christians were their best workers. They were the ones who were the most excellent. And they were the ones who lived in this total different kingdom of serving and promoting and sacrificing first. And so the, the employees forced to persecute them would kind of do it a little bit, but right when they didn't need to, they'd be like, hey, sorry about that, you know? And like, I really need you here in my company because you do things in a totally different way. Um, yeah, so that's my prayer for us, guys. Like, I pray that we would be, I, would, I pray for power for all of you. I pray for influence in the places that God's called you to. And I pray that you would 
that Jesus would be your hero and that you would take the power and platform influence that you have and, and start washing feet and promoting others and sacrificing. And then the most amazing thing happens. Um, again, Jesus is our model for this. Next slide, if you can. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That when we humble ourselves, the Lord promotes us. And it's a better promotion, it's a better exaltation than, than you can give yourself, than any man or society or status can give you. When the Lord, when our Father says, because you are humble, I am the one to promote you. And I don't, I don't even know how to like put that into words, but in the moments where you are able to lead and, and relinquish power and serve people, you will feel the Lord smile and promote you in the most profound ways. Um, so I would love for us just to pray for each other and reflect a little bit. What does humble leadership and modeling Jesus look like in the context of your influence? So with the same people you kind of shared that first question with, I would love for you to just kind of talk about this and pray for each other. And I pray that we would be different kinds of leaders um, and that our church would look different in these ways. Father, we love you so much. And Jesus, um, I, I really ask that we wouldn't be Christians that do everything the way the world does it and just like tag you on but that you would show us a different way, and you have shown us a different way. You've lived it out, this way of leadership that is integrated with humility and waiting for the exaltation of another, um, of, of the Father. And so I just ask that you would allow us to be in that system of power um, and that the places that you've entrusted us, Lord, whether it's just with a group of friends and being someone of influence, whether it's a title we have, an education that we hold, um, whether it's in our workplaces or in our hobby groups. Lord, I ask that we would be a different kind of leader, that we would bring other people up, that we would um, serve others, that we would use our power for those who, are, who need power, who need a voice, who need eyes. So God, as we just kind of pray for each other, would you um, inspire us and allow us to see a vision of who we can be as leaders in modeling after you. In Jesus' name, amen.